Game on. Oh, game right. on, eh? Grab your nets, sticks in the middle. Time for another episode of Straight Off the Pipe. It's episode 25, the Mike Greer episode. You know what that means. We're going to be banging and crashing around for about an hour, and guaranteed, one of us is going to separate a shoulder. Oh, Durst, we got uh, our, our friend in Porta Potty 99 up in the grandest of prairies. How you doing tonight, man? I don't know, but I see this foot. What? Oh, that's uh, those are my <laughs> nuclear socks. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Connor McDavid, but he's uh, not human. Yeah, that is true. And if this is the Mike Greer episode, not only are we going to separate a shoulder, but we're going to Mel Gibson style pop it back in and keep playing. <laughs> um, so Eric's had me on his show uh, a few times, and I think you as well, Dash. And uh, oh yeah, it was this, his biggest episode. This is this, thousands of views. Thousands. This, this is uh, the first time we get to put the shoe on the other foot. So uh, I'll, I'll I'll come right out, out with it, Eric. Uh, your minor hockey career. Uh, let's uh, take a minute and talk about mm-hmm. that. Wow. Well, I don't. Okay, time's up. <laughs> that's that's about all we needed, really. Uh, I don't have as many great stories as Dash did when he was on my show or anything like that. But uh, let's see. I started playing minor hockey in '96, and uh, <clears throat> played. Um, you know, not not a, a ever really high level or anything. Uh, tier one affiliate one time, but almost always tier two throughout my minor hockey career. Um, played uh, contact up until I was about 13, 14, and then I switched over to just playing rec because I had a couple concussions mm. and uh, just didn't have the frame to continue on playing body contact. I, I had the height, but I was just way too slim to be uh, playing in the you know, a bantam and midget hockey against guys who had maybe 20, 30 pounds on me. So <clears throat> other than that, I was always a... Uh, I like to say that I was a Jordan Everly kind of type player. That would probably be the, a player comparable for me. Sort of a, a offensive-minded, decent hands kind of winger. Not like a overly hard shot that was gonna, you know, score from distance or anything. But I, I, had, I had decent, decent wheels and you know, good hands. But um, so what you're yeah, saying just, is you could toe drag the best of the NHL defensemen in the world. <laughs> And uh, glorify, you know, the worldwide with your first mm-hmm. NHL goal and uh, become a Canadian hero and world junior. Man, that's a feat. Add a boy. Way to go, Eric. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No small comparable. <laughs> no, not, not at all. And I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Everly was, uh, was a player that I really enjoyed watching with the, the Oilers, too. I wish he was still here to be a part of this team. I, I, sometimes I think, like, man, you look at this current group, if they could add just uh, a 25-year-old Everly in with this core. I mean, that would be such a, a, an addition to this group. Not to take even a guy like Yamamoto out or anything like that, but it, it, someone like Everly in that spot would be just fantastic too. So now that we touched on the mi- minor hockey career of mm-hmm. yourself, of yourself mm-hmm. um, t- t- tell everybody uh, <clears throat> where your love affair with the Edmonton Oilers uh, began. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because when I first started becoming a fan of the game, you know, mid mid nineties, you know, um, I would always start to hear lots of stories from my dad about Gretzky and uh, all 
you know how great of a player he was and sort of learning from him but at that point you know i i didn't really necessarily have a favorite team there were there was a few teams i liked i i enjoyed watching gretzky on the rangers at that time you know at the tail end of his career which is really the only part of uh gretzky's career that i can remember um uh I sort of like the Flyers too because they had a player with the same name as me who was a superstar, of course, Eric Lindros, and <laughs> uh, the and the, the Mighty Ducks movies were really big for kids in the '90s of my age. So uh, I, I had a I had a soft spot for the Anaheim Mighty Ducks as well too. So between those three kind of teams, for the first couple of years that I watched hockey, those were the teams I followed, and then somewhere in the late '90s, I want to say around '99. Um, is when I first started to learn about Gretzky's history with the Oilers and learn that he had his best best days as a as a player in Edmonton, and that was something that I really didn't know about because I obviously heard about his time with the Kings and I had seen him with the Rangers, but that that first half of his career when he was at his absolute peak is what I missed because I was wasn't alive at that time first of all and just to kind of learn about it that sort of slowly turned me into an Oilers fan and basically for the last 22 years or so I've just been obsessed with this team and followed it on a day-to-day basis and, and you're a student of, of you know the great one and and I mean that's oh, yeah. that, that's what you named your podcast after right so yeah absolutely well on my first birthday uh, so which would have been January 14th, 1990. Um, my dad got me a Wayne Gretzky LA Kings jersey for my birthday, and I still have it. Um, so I guess you could sort of say that I became a Gretzky fan at age one, and I've been with, you know, a, a, he's my ultimate hero in life. You know, it's, I, I've been lucky enough to meet some Oilers legends over the years, but uh, Wayne is one that I still haven't checked off my, my bucket list yet. I was in the same room as him one time when he came to Saskatoon with Gordie Howe uh, for a, a Kinsman charity dinner. And I got to watch him on stage tell old stories. But that was the closest I actually have come to meeting him. Uh, but yes, I, I'm a huge Gretzky fan. I have a closet full of Gretzky jerseys. Um, I've basically read or watched anything and everything throughout my life that I could on his career uh, memorized a lot of his stats and just he he's my ultimate hero and, and I would go as far to say that you know as I might even love Gretzky more than I love the Oilers it's hard to it's hard to say um, that I because he's the reason that I do love the Oilers so it's hard to say to pick between the two but um, obviously uh, yeah he's my he's my biggest hero and um, like you said named my podcast after him as well so yeah huge Gretzky fan well next time you're in Edmonton I'll uh, I'll give you a run for some of that memorabilia and jerseys I got a closet full I've got lunch pails from the 80s Barbies every McFarlane he's ever had a jersey from every team he's ever been on I've got an entire case behind me of every magazine he's ever been on, every Sports Illustrated, every newspaper across Canada the day he retired in 99. Wow. That's, that's just off that's the top of my head. One. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I I definitely don't claim to have the biggest Wayne Gretzky collection, but in terms of like what I can get my hands on, I, I have been able to collect a, a lot on him but i'm always fascinated and interested to see anyone else's gretzky collection and even before the podcast i commented on we have the same 
Gretzky all-star jersey there. Uh, off the top of my head, I can run through it quick. I have I have the Coleman away Gretzky Oilers. I have uh, the black Gretzky Kings. I have the uh, the white Gretzky Blues jersey. I have his uh, his blue Rangers jersey, uh, All Star jersey, Canada Cup '87 jersey, uh, and then of course I, I have a, a signed one as well, a signed white jersey from the '80s. That's my absolute prized possession. And you know, it's a quick story. I, I bought that in 2009 from a neighbor of my parents at the time, and he owned uh, a a hockey collectible store in the mall near our house. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he was selling this jersey that he had got from a trip to Vegas when he was picking up a bunch of memorabilia down there and brought it back. And it was a, he had the jersey and the case, and he was selling the whole thing for 1800 bucks, I believe. And I would pay him in installments of like $200 that I made working at Safeway. So nice. th this was like, you know, this was how, you know, such a good guy to let me do this too, because you know I was making like eight fifty an hour at the time, so I, it took me a while to save up for this this jersey that I was going to get. So once I had got to a thousand dollars and I had paid it, paid him for it, he said, "You know what? You've already got me a thousand. That's what I was charging for the jersey. I'll give you the case for free." So <clears throat> I've had it for twelve years now. It's my absolute prized possession, like I said, and uh, I don't know what the going rate for a signed Gretzky jersey is now. I can, you know, I, every time I'm in Edmonton or wherever, I, I'll look at, you know, stores at the mall or wherever and see, you know, what I can find for that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know how easy it would be to find a, a Gretzky jersey for a thousand bucks anymore. No, not even close. It's funny. Our, our jerseys are almost identical except for a few color swaps. Like I have the mm -hmm. white LA Kings and that's a nice one. Blue St. Louis Blues. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, other, Nobody cares about that, though. <laughs> other question, and I'll tell you my, mine first, but uh, other other question is, like, <coughs> favorite Euler moment that, that you've, like, attended live. And uh, ah. for, for me, you know, you're on the Gretzky topic. I think, you know, there, there's lots. I mean, I've been to playoff games. I've been to yeah. a, a lot, but... Um, for me, I, I was I was I think around 12 years old, and uh, Wayne was a part of the LA Kings, and my dad took me to a game, and I didn't I I never really went to too many games with my dad. I, I went to some with my mom and and friends and and, and that. But the the fondest memory I have is uh, you know watching Wayne break Gordy's record. I thought he had like a pretty average night, and and at the end of the night he's got four points and he's beating. Uh, Gordy's record and he wins a game in overtime. I thought it was a pretty pedestrian effort yeah. by, by him, and he's and he he's just just on a different level than everybody else. If I'm not mistaken, that was October fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. So uh, I was nine months old. You were probably, like you said, around twelve at the time. Yeah. So yeah, um, uh, that game, you know. It's one of the only times, and I, obviously I didn't see that game until I was like 15 years old when they would show NHL classics on TV. But I think one thing that stands out to me about this, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this or not too, but have you, when Gretzky broke the record, that was a game-tying goal late in the third period to send the game to overtime. And 
when he broke it, the Edmonton fans at Northlands cheered as if the Oilers had just scored. And this was for a visiting player. I can't think of another time in hockey or maybe even sports where the home crowd has cheered that intensely for an opposing player to score. There, there's really only two places in the NHL that you'll get that kind of uh, response from. One is Edmonton and the other is Montreal. They'll recognize, you know, a, a historic event. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, anyone I go back and watch that clip and, and you'll just see how the fans go nuts when Gretzky gets that goal. And I think they were a little less excited when he got the, the overtime winner. But uh, seeing him break the record live, you know, there's lots. Um, there, there's lots of games, right? That was something like six games into the, the regular season that year. Uh, yes, it, it stings to see the home team lose, but there's only one time that you'll ever see Gretzky break the all-time points record. So I think that fans still went home with a pretty good memory that night. Oh, yeah. What's Crazy yours? that it happened in Edmonton, really. What's your, yeah. what's your, what's yours Dash? What do you got? Favorite live moment. Um, I've told this story a few times, I think, uh, and it was just because of the energy in, in the arena and um, how close I was to the action. But our, our season tickets uh, back in 19 were, um, I want to say, sixth row or something like that in one of the pie safe sections. And uh, when DeHarnay scored the overtime goal, um, kind of from the top of the circles there as he was creeping in and, and dry. That's right. And dry sauced one from the corner there. Um, dry, like Daharney put it in and dry, just put his arms in the air and stood where he was up against the boards and the whole team came to him. And, uh, as they celebrated that overtime goal, um, we all kind of rushed down to the glass and I was one of the first guys there. And I just, my face was six inches away from those guys and I was screaming and they were screaming and it was just like, I felt like I was on the ice celebrating with them for that goal. But man, I've seen a ton of, ton of, ton of great games live there being a season ticket holder. Everly's goal was awesome. Me being from Regina and and knowing Everly's family and and being friends with his cousins. I've always watched his career close. So seeing that first goal was awesome. I remember the first game uh, or not the first game, the first goal that Yakupov ever scored was also the same game that Schultz ever scored. Uh, Eric and I talked about on his podcast uh, watching Eric um, or watching George LaRock's first career or only career hat trick. Um, I got mm-hmm. to come to that game in, in Edmonton. So uh, that was the time I got to go down to the dressing room and got my Doug Waite jersey autographed and got to see, you know, I was basically in the middle of the media scrum with George LaRock. So there's, there's some pretty cool moments, but that one celebrating the overtime goal is always going to be my favorite unless something can top that. So yeah, uh, th- three games this this past week um, since we were last on, and we've got uh, we've got the former goalie in, in BC uh, Chad Graham's uh, commenting here on on YouTube and or sorry he's on watching on Facebook, and uh, you know he's talking about ninety six Jesus I'm old <laughs> referring to you and then he and then he uh, he's wanting to. Well, he, he's saying that he had a game sheet of Connor's first NHL goal. Oh, nice. 
and uh, nice. he's, t- he's telling us to hurry up and let's talk about uh, Stuart Skinner. <laughs> yeah. So I guess uh, I guess uh, we can go we can go on the Stuart Skinner uh, topic right, I guess now. <laughs> if, if I can just for one second tell you my my favorite memory that I also have of watching the Oilers, I'll I'll quickly say. Uh, like my first, my first one in '06. You never like I, I never, you never forget your first game, right? And even though they lost to the Flames four-one, and that's a disappointing, you know, first time see, seeing it. Just getting to go to Northlands for the first time was such a cool experience. And also, I went to the 2016 Heritage uh, Classic in Winnipeg, and that, nice. you know, that game was awesome. But I even think I enjoyed the alumni game even more because that's when I got to see all the legends on the ice. And it might be the only time I ever actually get to see Gretzky play live. So it's not uh, it's not uh, Gretzky in his prime or anything. It is an old-timers game, but just to get to see him on the ice was such a cool experience. What you think about Skinner, Eric? How uh, <laughs> you felt about, you know, the difference in... How the team plays and how the how the goaltending's been between the pipes. Well, I think when Mike Smith went down in the third game of the season, there was a lot of us pretty concerned at the time. Um, I'm still concerned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where that was like a, an issue people were concerned about in the off season, where it's like, is this going to be the thing that sinks the team? an injury to a valuable player. Now, obviously, we've not only lost our starting goalie, we've lost our number one defenseman in Darnell Nurse as well. And, you know, you could argue that the way Mike Smith was playing last year, he was the third most valuable player on this team behind only McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I will say with Miko Koskinen, uh, he has given us stellar performances at times. And then he has also given us some less than stellar performances and it seems like when he does have the the off nights those are the ones that the fans tend to focus on a little more it's just like he can he can almost undo four good games with one bad game in a lot of fans minds and maybe some of that is just track record that he didn't inspire much confidence in the team last season so they're just waiting for the shoe to drop it's like okay you know, weak glove side goal again, or he lets in a first shot goal of the game. I look, it's the last year of his contract. He's almost certainly not going to be back next season, but the guy is still, I think nine and two this year. So despite what his save percentage and his goals against average are, you know, he's still given up the team results. And regardless of how much of that falls on the shoulders of the superstars carrying the load offensively, He's still getting the wins. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, I think that Nico should be the starting goalie the rest of the way, but at times I think he is capable of giving the Oilers quality starts. Yeah, I uh, I, I like Skinner um, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more than I thought I would. Um, Koskinen, I, I can't disagree with anything Eric said there. Like, you know, that's not an untruth but the fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't matter how stellar of a performance that Koskinen has put forward he it's that one shit goal and and it's the timing of it and but see that's you know, what I said like he un, 
he undoes he, he undoes a lot of the, the the goodwill that he's built up with fans with one bad goal and his teammates i i feel like they play a different game in front of him i'm not sure that there's the trust there you, you know there's he led the league in the entire nhl in in like there was a stat that clear sight analytics does for um you know they track grade a chances but they also track like low scoring chances and Miko Koskinen led the league last season in allowing goals on low percentage scoring chances. Um, he's second in the league in allowing them again this year. He had 10 and 14 starts or whatever it is. Like every game almost, there's a goal. In the last five that he played, he allowed a goal um, on the first four shots in four of them. You're putting your team behind. And what I loved about Skinner was um, in the first five minutes of that game against Chicago, Patrick Kane had two grade A chances from the slot. One was a nice pass and the other one was a bounce off of a skate maybe. I can't remember. They came right to him in the slot and both times and he absolutely stoned them. And there was another big save on somebody at about a minute and a half in the game. And I saw those three saves. And when the third one happened against Kane, I went, yep. That Koskinen would have let one of those in, yeah. and it would have been us playing from behind again. And then that's a different—that's a different style of game. We're chasing it, and now you've got Skinner, who I, I think played absolutely phenomenally, um, even better the game before, like forty-six saves and a nine-seven-nine. And the game after that was you know twenty-nine saves and a nine-three-five last night. Right. This is this is a goalie that's given us a chance to win every single time he's every single time he's been in the net Koskinen yeah sure his his record's nice and he's probably outplayed his second string value and this is maybe the most disrespected nine and one start a goalie's ever had but at the same time I I don't think his team trusts him I don't think that they play good enough in in front of him either and it makes a big difference um, Chad, yeah. Chad's been piping up here. <laughs> the goalie is uh, is hot on the goalie front here. He's uh, he's back on the you know uh, Dustin Schwartz and shit, <laughs> and and the one shit goal is Dustin keeping him deep in his net and and on his knees. And Skinner isn't buying Schwartz and his joke odds play. He's out fighting a foot outside his crease. I think yeah, uh, Skinner. You know, the played aggressively. Goal, I thought yeah. The one goal he gave up against Winnipeg. Uh, on Ehlers, you know, rocket top corner, he was down and he was kind of in the middle of his crease. Yeah. He what he wasn't out, but I still think if he was out and he was he was square to the puck, he's still not saving that. That that was that was a no, that was a perfect shot. Yeah, and and Nurse did kind of skate in front of him. And if you watch the play, I did and I broke it down because I wanted to show my sons the whole thing. He lost sight of the puck for a second when uh, Shifley dropped it back. And never got a chance to re- reconnect and, and pick it up, but still, still that that was that was a perfect shot, you know, just underneath the bar, and it was it was whistling, and I I, I don't think if he did everything right, he would have saved that, um, you know, in Skinner's four games, he's had one hiccup. Uh, yeah, I can yeah. I, I can live with that, you know, that's pretty quality goaltending. If you and ask it wasn't me. even a bad save, he just you know mishandled the puck, took his pool cue and mischalked it and. <laughs> got 20 percent of it and bounced one out to the crease like and people wanted to, that was pe- people were harping on him to stay in his net he wasn't really that far out of his net he was just at the side of the post yeah. and tried to play it behind and 
Yeah. You know, if that's your second game in the NHL and that's the only mistake you've made, and now you're at the point where you are, he was the best player for the Oilers, hands down, against Detroit. He was, again, absolutely um, formidable against the Sabres. And I think the team should be embarrassed for the effort that they put in front of Skinner after what they'd already done with him in front of Detroit. And then, you know, he gets his chances and, and just keeps stealing games. Like, he, Koskinen won us one game all year, St. Louis. That that was the one game where he kept us in it and made big saves when he needed to make them, and then the team won. You know, look at what Markstrom's doing down south. He, like, he's he's putting them in games every single night. Like, we just don't have that. And I don't know. But at like the end of the day. not taking anything away from Skinner, but. Right. And just in fairness, though, you could say that, yes, Markstrom is winning the Flames some games, but McDavid and Dreisaitl are also winning the Oilers some games, and the Flames don't have that either. So, mm-hmm. it's it, you know, every team is going to have something that is – we, at least every good team is going to have something that's elite that's getting them those victories on a consistent basis. And I basically agree with everything you said. The, the biggest thing for me with Skinner is there's been so much talk about the Oilers needing to go out and get a goalie. And that, you know, oh, Mike Smith and Nico Koskinen have, have taken the Oilers to the playoffs two years in a row, and they've both faltered in the first round the, the past two springs. Can they really run it back a third time or do the Oilers need to address that by the trade deadline and bring in another goaltender? It's still so early, but can you imagine if Stuart Skinner could fill that hole, if an an internal option was able to come up at under a million dollars a year and be that steady presence between the pipes that the Oilers are looking for, and that they don't have to go out and spend an asset to bring in a goaltender for a rental, or even a goaltender for the long term because this is the last year that you can send Skinner down to the minors without having to clear waivers. So next year he's on the team. He's either the backup or the starter, whatever way you look at it. Mike Smith still has one year left. Koskinen is done. So are you going to go with Smith and Skinner next season or are, are you going to try and look at trading Mike Smith if he waves his no move and bringing in someone else to play Skinner, who knows? But all I'm just saying is it's been a long time since the Oilers have had a homegrown goalie prospect. Devin Dubnik was the last one. They've only done it twice, Eric. Ever. That's a fact. That's that's become become their starter. Yeah, well, Grant Grant Fear. Grant Fear and Devin Dubnik. Andy Moe was also a homegrown guy too, though, right? But he, I guess you could say, was Fear's backup at in a sense, I guess they kind of split split duties. But sure. I see what you're I see what you're saying though. In terms of in terms of like who was the guy, because in the playoffs, Grant Fuhr always played, right? They yeah. might have him and Moog might have split time during the regular season, but when it was crunch time, Fuhr was the guy in there. Yeah. So But we traded for Ranford, we traded for Roley, we yeah. you know, like all those Curtis are, Joseph. None uh, of our goalies have ever made it since then. Yeah. Really. And, and, and if you look at the Oilers' track record of drafting the last five, six years, they've taken a goalie in almost every draft. And I think the more bullets in the chamber you have, the better chance that one of them is going to pan out. Yeah. And, you know, you're not going to have all of them, but all you need is one. And if Skinner can be that guy, then that solves a huge issue for the team. And to have a 23-year-old goalie, 
the Oilers haven't had a really young goalie in a while. I, I'm trying to think of the last time they had a goalie under 20, under 25. You know, like both their other two goalies are both in their 30s. It's Delorier. Yeah, but that's I mean that's over a decade ago now. Like we're you know, mm-hmm. and I think there it's might the last be, time though. There might be one that I'm missing. I know Tyler Buns played one game for the Oilers, so I mean that that doesn't really count in terms of what we're talking about. But yeah, it's it's been a long time since the Oilers have had a, a homegrown goaltender, and if they were able to get Stuart Skinner to be that guy, and I, I'm not even saying like he has to go on some magical Jordan Bennington type run like he took the Blues on in 2019. But imagine if the Oilers actually did win the Cup this year and Stuart Skinner was the guy. What a story that would be. Well, do you remember who won the <laughs> Cup in 06? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's funny remember to say who that. Remember who their goalie was? A guy from, well, I know I know that he's considered like an Edmonton area guy, but he was actually born in Saskatoon. And it's funny because um, one of the, the, when I was a li- real little kid, the, the daycare that I went to, uh, Cam Ward went to it just like several years before I did because I think he's like, <laughs> I think he's four or five years older than I am. But uh, yeah, so there, there definitely is a Saskatoon and Edmonton connection with him, and uh, unfortunately, he uh, caused myself and every Oilers fan uh, that spring yeah. a lot of heartbreak. So yeah, there's you know, I mean Patrick won in '86 too, right? Like it's. There's been times where a rookie goaltender. Uh, that's why I said I don't even want to put any pressure uh, on Stuart Skinner like that. I'm just saying, for, if he was even able to become the backup this year, like if he yeah. basically took if he took a job away from Miko Koskinen and said, you know what, I'm I'm one of the two goalies here now. So it's it's Mike Smith and I running the rest of the way. I think that would be a huge win for the team, even. Yeah. So who plays in Dallas? Um. Because you know, it's back-to-back, right? So someone is going to have to play Arizona. Someone is going to have to play Dallas. Do you save Skinner for Arizona because that's the the weaker team and you have the better chance to beat them? Not that Dallas are world beaters or anything. Uh, I could see them going to Miko against the Stars just because you don't want him sitting for too long. And then going back to Skinner the, the next night in Arizona against a, a team that you should beat nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten. So I think Stuart Skinner has a really good chance to get the win there. And I think going back to a veteran against the Stars like me, uh, like Miko Koskinen is a good decision as well. I don't think you sit a goalie that wins. Okay. So I think he honestly, I think if Skinner wins, uh, I think he plays again against Dallas. He's earned it from the last two. And uh, like, what if he got a shutout? What if he shut out the stars and that's his first NHL shutout? Do you run him back against Arizona yeah. the next night? Yeah, yeah. Tippett's done it lots. Tippett's uh, ran Koskinen mm-hmm. on back to backs. I'd say mm-hmm. probably six, seven times already in the last few years. And if you look at Koskinen rec- Koskinen's record in playing back to backs, he's actually quite successful in them. So, um, not that that has anything to do with Skinner playing back to backs, but right. Yeah, I think. Tippett would do it based on that that type of history, um, mm-hmm. and I don't think Arizona is going to give him a lot of uh, a lot, lot of, of trouble. Sweat, yeah, yeah. What about like they they finish up? I know we're we're looking down the road here, but uh, they're playing Vegas after that, and that's a tougher team. Do you, you know, if he's playing well throughout, then do you just say, you know what, just just keep going? 
Yeah. You got three days off or whatever before Vegas. Hell yeah. Absolutely. And and Miko did play quite well in Vegas when they, when they won there uh, early back in October. So, you know, it, it is kind of nice to also, this is kind of off topic, but to get two of the four games against Vegas out of the way early, especially with both of those games being in their barn. And then they have to come to Edmonton for the, for the last two. So, you know, if, if the Oilers can, if the Oilers can pick up another win on the road in Vegas, now they're really setting themselves up to do well in that division. Cause those are points that the, the Golden Knights just can't get back. Well, and that season series might come into play at the end of the, at the end of the year when the standings are up to any tiebreakers, yeah. those sort of things. Right. So, yeah. Thanks for jumping in, Chad. Um, always appreciate the goalie input and anything else you have to say for sure. It's, uh, been awesome to see Skinner. I think his positional play has been great. I think he's been efficient. I think he's, you know, um, been really, really good for us. Uh, there's a lot more goalies that have come in as rookies and won the Stanley Cup for teams than um, teams that have gone and traded for a goalie and won a Stanley Cup that year. Dursa and I broke down the last 20 some years of Stanley Cup winners, and I think you had to go back 25 years before you could find two teams where the goalie wasn't a homegrown goalie. And that was Patrick Waugh in Colorado. That's how far you have to go back to find the second goalie that was traded for to win a Stanley Cup. So, you know, for us to go out and trade for Kudobin or trade for Bishop or, well, that's happened twice in the last 25 years where someone's done that and won a cup. So, you know, uh, if Skinner can take it, uh, run with that ball, man. I, I I think he's young. He can do it. He can take the starts. Why not? So, um, awesome. Yeah, I, I thought that that game against Winnipeg was phenomenal. The Chicago game was good too. That Chicago game was a track meet. Hey boys, like that that was that felt like some '80s Oilers hockey. If you ever want to go back and watch it, Eric, like that, I felt like that was so oh. hard and Larmer flying yeah. up and down the ice with Gretzky and Curry there. There was a lot of high. Uh, High high scoring chances and grade A chances back and forth. A lot of giveaways, a lot of takeaways. Oh, I'm a big fan of babies hockey. I mean, despite not being around for much of it, I guess I can claim that I was around for uh, about a, one year of babies hockey. Um, just the the creativity, the the free flowing play, how how open it was, and how teams were willing to trade chances. I. I just love that style of hockey, especially when the Oilers played. I mean, there's never been a more creative, offensively dynamic team in the history of the game than the mid-80s Oilers. And just to go back and watch the tape of those guys and just see just how much fun they had playing this game before there were so many defensive systems, just going out and playing, you know, pond hockey on an NHL ice surface. To me, that, like, that's how hockey was meant to be played and the the type of hockey i love the best so yeah it's uh you're we're starting to see some high scoring games a lot more often with the oilers this year i mean i think they have 68 goals in uh 68 goals in 15 games so far or 16 games so far this year so if i do some quick matter math here let's do this on the 21 on the power play and three shorthanded after last night so they're averaging 4.53 goals per game and i don't think i have to tell any of you guys and we all sort of know this if if you're scoring 
four and a half goals on a regular basis, you're going to win a lot of hockey games. And if you look at the standings right now, it should come as no surprise to anyone that the Oilers are 13 and four. Yeah, absolutely. They've <laughs> scored five or more goals in a lot of games this year. That I would say that game last night was a lot like pond hockey, except for in pond hockey, you don't have a four minute and 50 second uh, shift in the other Ooh! team. In the, in, the, in the other team's end, I mean. That was fun, though. You know what was the best part about that shift, too, is that the Oilers were able to get all four lines on the ice before the And all 16. Yeah. So so all every skater on the, on the opening lineup was able to get on the ice before the Blackhawks could make a change. And uh, they... McDavid was even asked about it after the game. I forget which reporter asked him, but he said that he's never even seen that in junior hockey, let alone at the NHL level. So if if anyone still has uh, haunting memories of that shift against the Red Wings in 2009 when the Oilers got Strudwick and Chorney. Yeah, when they got hemmed in their own end for five minutes or something. No, 345. 345, okay. Well, hopefully that this shift, will be the reversal of that and kind of just like wipe away the demons. <laughs> wipe that, away the demons. That, that almost reminded me of the way the Sharks used to play. You know, they would cycle and yeah. cycle and cycle and, and just wear you out. And eventually you're either taking a penalty or, or fishing the puck out of the back of your own net. Um, unfortunately, that didn't happen last night, but I, I saw a few jokes like that. That was the most time Caleb Jones spent on uh, Rogers Place ice in, in probably two seasons. Like, I like the tweet I read about, uh, well, Caleb Jones was complaining he didn't get enough ice time. There you go. They owed it to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the call to hockey broke that shift down, actually. I got some notes here. Um, and that's why I know the 345 on the Strudwick Chorney, because they reference it as a as a comparable, because the shift here was four minutes and 50 seconds, I've heard it. And I've also heard 455, so I'm not sure what it is, to be honest. But um so this shift, uh, Caleb Jones and Murphy played 290 seconds. Uh, Caleb Jones played 1636 on the game. So 450 of that is over 30% of his game's ice time was on that one shift. Um, 18 Oilers hit the ice, all four lines and all 60. Um, they had the long change because it was a second period, right? So the, the forwards are swapping yeah. out, but the D couldn't. Um, the Oilers completed 46 passes on that shift and the cult of hockey's most they had ever tracked before this was 32, um, 46 completed passes. Uh, the Oilers lost the puck and gained it back seven times where they lost control of the puck and got it back. And over that four minutes and 50 seconds, they got nine shots on net two of which were grade-A chances, and one of those grade-A chances. Boys, how did Bouchard miss that open Oof. net and cream that crossbar? Oh, uh, that shift had me what? off my couch. Like, I was, I couldn't, I, I thought that was it. Like, there's no way that wasn't ending in a goal or a penalty. You got to give those guys credit, but Bouchard let them off the hook, yo. I, I, I laugh I laugh pretty hard at Jack Michael saying, I think he might have hit the post. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could hear it in Grand Prairie, but he might have hit the post. Hey, 
Congrats to Jack Michael on his first national game, by the way. He's earned that was awesome. That was great. I hope he's going to be doing some playoff games this year, too. I know there's been a lot of Oilers fans pushing for that. Oh, I but, uh, that all day, yeah. You know, this this probably isn't something that a lot of people had on the, the front of their, their minds, but I, I'm a big stats guy. And uh, anyone who follows me knows that I post a lot of Oilers-related stats. And if Bouchard would have At crushed Eric that... Friesen on Twitter... Yeah, if uh, thanks for the plug there too, Dash. And uh, you know, if if he would have shot that puck home, that would have been Connor's 400th NHL assist. So that would have been a milestone night at Rogers Place. And not that it takes it away anything, but he's almost certainly going to hit that milestone on this road trip now. And you know, it's sure it's cool that he's going to you know he's going to be the fourth fastest player in NHL history to reach 400 assists. And it's going to be remarkable no matter where it happens, but it's probably going to be in Dallas on Tuesday night as opposed, yeah. or on, as opposed to if it could have been on hockey night in Canada on home ice. Yeah. I don't know. I just I, I kind of wish that he would have hit the milestone there. Yeah, especially with Jack on the call. I don't know if he's calling the Dallas game or not. but I think yeah, it's uh, a regional game. Oh, yeah, that's right. But, yeah, no, fun fun game for sure. You know, two, two shorties um, for a yep. penalty kill that was already second in the NHL and – you know, that penalty kills scored three goals and only let up six all year. Like the freaking power play for the entire season is minus three, fellas. Like that's nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked Sevier. I, I thought that was probably his best game of the year. Um, I love that he played center. I love that he won every single one of his faceoffs. Um, I wouldn't mind even seeing him between Cassian and Fogel. Uh you know what? I kind of like where Ryan McLeod is right now because I think that aside from it being one of Sevier's or Sevier's best game this season, it was also arguably Ryan McLeod's best game, and mm-hmm. it was probably Warren Fogel's best game of the season or second best game. So to have it, to have that many bottom six guys all going at the same time, I think you don't even touch that lineup. They, they were. Yeah, I, I like they, the size on that line when McLeod's there too. So do I. Sorry to cut you off, Durs. No, that's fine. They were, uh, you know, buzzing all night, and Fogel and Cassian, uh, you know, uh, they were doing everything right. It just couldn't cash. They had plenty of chances. I mean, Cassian was all over the place, and, and uh, yeah, no, that line was good. Um, Yamamoto uh, with a, with another uh, goal there, and he's starting to go. Um, Seth Jones with one of the nicest passes of the night. What, what, what did you guys think of Broberg's uh, first NHL game? You going to go first, Dash? Go ahead. Well, you know, he came into a tough spot because anytime you're losing the number one defenseman on the team, uh, you're going to have to shift around your defensive pairings. Uh, it, they're, they're not going to replace Nurse. So it was sort of like we're going to have to fill in by committee instead of having one guy just handle. And I know Keith played almost as many minutes as Nurse usually plays, but you're going to have to just kind of divvy up the responsibilities. And I thought that they sheltered Broberg as much as they could, but he played a very smart, calm game for a guy breaking into the league at 20 years old. And I don't know if he's going to be here to stay or not, but that was a really good first showing from him. He picked up an assist, a secondary assist on McLeod's goal. And... You know, I, I don't you know one thing about that game for Broberg, I didn't notice him for too much of the game. There was a few times that he caught my eye, but almost 
the rest of the time he was on the ice, he was unnoticeable. And I think that that's a good thing, especially for a young defenseman. If he's unnoticeable, it probably means that he didn't do anything wrong. So I would say that Broberg had a, a, a fairly good performance to start. And Dave Tippett was very complimentary of him after the game. So I think there's a, a good chance that uh, he'll be counted on to play, you know, in somewhere in that 14 to 16 minute range uh, going forward as well. Yeah, what did he get last night? 16 minutes or 18 minutes or uh, maybe somewhere think, in that range or I think, something? I think they said 1440-something. Oh, okay. There was just... Which is... So, you not, know, that's thir you know. third pairing minutes. Um, you know, I, I had a look at the zone starts. He was predominantly offensive zone starts. So, yeah. Tippett definitely had some shelter there for him. There's no doubt. Uh, I didn't see him out there against the Kane line. Um, so, you know, uh, but that's how... Uh, guy that's playing his first game in the nhl sh sh should be entered in you know I, I wouldn't expect him to go pop on the first pairing with keith or anything um hold on i just said keith and first pairing <laughs> um oh i don't know what that taste in my mouth was but it was awful and uh you know broberg looked a little bit swedish really you know like he he just was quiet he was efficient um he had a good stick. Uh, he wasn't overly aggressive, but he didn't need to be. Uh, he's got a reputation for taking big hits, and oh boy, he almost got creamed by who's that good? Oh, Gabranson? No, not Gabranson. Who's the uh, guy that was paired Gustafson? up with Jones? Gustafson. Thank you, the other G guy. <coughs> um, I think had him on his train tracks and, and just missed him there. But um, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good game for a twenty-year-old in his first game in the NHL. Glad he got a point. The other thing is, too, this guy, we have to remember, was an eighth overall pick. And he was the number one defenseman at the Holinka gretzky tournament here in Edmonton in yeah, 2018. It. And he was also the top defenseman at the 2019 Under-18 World Championships. So those are two tournaments within a span of a year that he was the best defenseman in his age group. And that's why he was drafted in the top ten because this is a guy who's shown against his own age he's an elite player. Now, he's been playing against men in uh, the Division Two in Sweden in his draft mm -hmm. year and then the past two years in the SHL. So because of that, he hasn't been able to dominate the same as he did against 17-year-olds when he was 17. He's been going up against guys in their 20s and 30s. I think that it's going to take a little bit longer to get to that level, but I, I like the fact that he has shown that he is a top level player against his own age and when he can eventually become a top player against all ages and against the best players in the world that's when we're going to see a legitimate top four guy and maybe he yeah. will never maybe he'll never get to the the top pairing because that is where darnell nurses and you know the fact that they're paying him over nine million dollars a year you hope that he's going to be holding down that top yeah. pairing spot for the next eight years but if Grober comes in and he's an excellent second pairing left shot to D-man behind Nurse, that's a really good one-two on the left side. Yeah, yeah, you, for you, sure. You know, when that draft all went down, how many Oilers fans were just livid we didn't take a forward? And this might mm -hmm. have been this might have been just a, a, a well, you know, a long play from Holland, and, and it for yeah. sure was. I think, I think Broberg's a year behind probably his development where he probably should be, but he had a the last year and a half, he's been pretty injury-riddled. Well, so, do you remember at the World Juniors? Uh, sorry to cut you off too, Mike, but at the World Juniors last year, he was the captain of the team. It was his third time playing at the World Juniors because he was there at age 
17, 18, and 19. And he was the captain of the team last year. He had three points in the first game of the tournament. And then he got hurt in the second game. And he never looked the same for the rest. And his, the re basically the rest of the season when he got back to the SHL was derailed as well. And now he's come up to the AHL where he's second in the league in assists by a rookie defenseman with 10 assists in 13 games. So he's showing that he's already a very good player at that level. And maybe he'll go back down when Nurse is ready and, and he'll be there for another 30 or 40 games. But I don't think Broberg is too far away from being a full-time NHLer. He's playing all situations down there with the Condors as well. Um, yeah. Funny thing is, actually, some of the announcers down there, as well as uh, Bruce McCurdy, calls him Broberry because that's yeah. actually how his the name proper, is pr pronounced proper in Sweden. Yeah, Swedish pronunciation. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, you know, I, I think um, I think that's exactly where he'll slot. I, I think that's you know he's a good second pairing defenseman. Um, I remember them saying that if, uh, you know, Mike talked about them wanting fans clamoring for them to want to take a forward. Uh, yeah. Holland was on record saying he was taking Maurice Sider if, if Iserman mm -hmm. didn't. So uh, I think we are getting a defenseman with that pick, whether we liked it or not. Yeah. And I mean, look, would it have been great to get Trevor Zegras or Cole Caulfield at that spot too? You know, yeah. You mean, no. you mean goal Caulfield? <laughs> yeah. And I'm not going to lie, going into that 2019 draft, those were two guys that I really had targeted for the Oilers to take. And I won't say that I was disappointed by the pick of Broberg, but I was kind of surprised that that was the, the direction they decided to go. And especially after taking Bouchard the year before, it, it kind of I didn't expect him to take another defenseman in the top 10 of the draft. But if this long play works out, and maybe a guy like Zegras or... Caulfield hit it out of the park a little sooner because they're forwards and it's easier for forwards to make the jump yeah. to the NHL than it is to defensemen. Maybe the Broberg pick pays off years down the line because there, I think there are some similarities between him and Clefbaum. And you know, look at look at Clefbaum. He was drafted in 2011 and compare that to the player he was in 2016 17 when yeah. the Oilers were three or what were they two points away from winning a division title and were one game away from the conference final that yeah. that version of cleft bump was six years in the making well we're only two years after Broberg's draft what is he going to look like four years from now five years from now so i think it's going to be a bit of a longer play with him but it, it could pay off down the road something uh, you said kind of triggered me there because um we, I was a guest on He Bears Oilers Live, and uh, we had Low Tide, Al Mitchell on. And Low Tide watches every single Condors game from, from whistle to whistle and uh, has always said, um, and I've heard him on the radio talk about it too, that he strongly feels that Broberg is a better player on smaller ice surface. So, you know, you talk yeah. about him dominating in the U-20s and in, at the Halenka and Edmonton, um, and then going back and playing against men. He's also going and playing on a bigger ice surface. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, if what Low Tide is saying is true, and I and I certainly trust the man, um, especially with his hockey knowledge, I think that that has something to do with it, right? He comes every time he's made his appearances well, in the AHL. He's, he's been impressive, and, and now here he is again. Mike, Michael, yeah. our, fear, our fearless uh, leader, is on the Facebook chat, too, saying... Cut him off. Cut him yeah, off. Yeah, that's it. I should ban him. Uh, Broberg has a Taylor Hall type of problem. He sets himself up for season-ending hits. He almost got walloped last night. Love the kid. 
That's what I said earlier. But he attracts big hits. I think he's got a good future if he stays healthy. Hopefully he gets out of that. And what I'll say to that is, well, almost getting hit and getting hit are two different things, so he must have had his head up and, and dodged it last night. Yeah, He's also really Learning. good at spinning off checks, too, though. I noticed that, you know, the hill... He's got the the vision out there to see these players coming and make a move, even if it is at the last second of dot, which uh, oncoming attackers too. So he's going to learn, and I'm sure that there will be veteran defenders who will point these things out to him to you know not get yourself in trouble and kind of position yourself in a way where you're you know going to avoid contact when possible. So I think that Broberg is still young and learning, but right now the signs are very positive. And the fact that we have Bouchard and Broberg both playing here at the same time, that's a, a huge sign for the organization. Killer bees. And a good check mark for Holland too. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you know, nice segue maybe here or not, but um, mm-hmm. you know, left-handed defenseman. We brought up Nurse a couple times now. Uh, we had a you know one game to see what we're like without our number one defenseman. I'm not sure we were challenged. You know, Keith took his 25 minutes and good for him. Um, I don't know how those pairings will, will fare up against a Vegas or something else. But, um, you know, it, it pisses me off. And, and you know, Nurse, I don't know why he doesn't get the respect that he does. And, and I'm going to tee up Dursa here and uh. maybe we'll hit our segment. And, and this is good timing for it. And we're going to, uh, I'm sure you know, Eric, we got a couple segments we do around here. And one when we mm-hmm. need to blow off some steam is our oil blowout. And, you know, Darnell Nurse, I saw a, a moment in that game versus Winnipeg. <clears throat> Obviously, prior to his injury, and it was towards the end of the game. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but it was just to the right of uh, of the goalie, Skinner, I guess. And um, Shifley and McDavid were kind of pushing around a little bit. And then, Mc, you know, they kind of came to, you know, gloves in the face or whatever. And Nurse was in the crease at the time. And he jetted over there faster than I don't know what. And, you know, was right in Shifley's face and made sure that, you know, McDavid was okay and nothing else was going to happen there. And, you know, that doesn't show up on stats. That doesn't show up on analytics. That doesn't show up in your Korski or your Fenske. But, you know, what it does do is is make Connor McDavid feel like he can play an inch taller. He can get in Shifley's face because he knows Nurse is right there. And, you know, like people that want to bitch about his contract and bitch about... I don't know. Like, you don't see how much Darnell Nurse provides to this team. So, um, you know, oil blowout. I'm going to give our guest the first word here, and Eric, and you go blow off some steam, buddy, because I know Durst has got a big one coming. Uh, Well, I'll just say, how about the hit that Connor threw, too, when his stick broke? I'm trying to (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) Who was that? 23 on the Blackhawks. He, He put someone down on the ice. Um, Campbell, I don't was. remember who it was. Yeah, yeah, but blow off some steam here. Jeez, uh, I gotta put me on the spot here about something that I'm really frustrated by. Um, That's what we do. Yeah, you know, I I feel like there have been a lot of McDavid passes that have not been converted or even just shot wide. And I'm a big Jesse Pugliarvi fan. I'll, I'll, I'll always say that. I love the kid. And he had such a hot start to the year. But I feel like recently there have been uh, some chances that 
you know, he's had good looks to put the puck home, and he's either sure. not got all of the shot or he's missed it completely. So that's not really Post. something about blowing off steam. That's just an issue that I would like them to, you know, that I like. Don't you think Hyman's there too, up. man? I think him and Pugliarvi have pissed away a lot of chances. Oh, I feel like Hyman should have two goals a game. Yeah, he. I mean, look, when you're playing with – I know people say Leon is the best passer in the league, and maybe, you know, he does make uh, the most incredible passes, but Connor is still the best playmaker. You know, he just – every time he touches the puck, he's creating something. So, yeah, you'd love to see more of those go, go in. I guess the one thing that I blow up, want to blow off steam the most about is the NHL officials. And it's funny, last game, McDavid drew three penalties. And it was the first time since 2017. So we're talking, you know, four and a half years ago that uh, he's drawn three penalties in a game. Is it likely that he'll draw three or even two penalties a game? No. Uh, coming into this, this or last night's game, I believe he had drawn five penalties this season. So we're talking about five in 15 games. So about one every three games. We all know that realistically, if the NHL officials called every infraction that happened on McDavid, he would draw five to eight penalties himself a night. Is that ever going to happen? No. Do I expect five penalties on McDavid a night? No. Even though he is drawing them, I still don't expect it. But would I like to see McDavid himself draw at least one a game? Absolutely. I don't think they can possibly go a single game where he doesn't draw a penalty because if not, they're just ignoring it. Because because every single game, he draws multiple penalties. So you can't ever go a night where he does it. Even two, if you get, let's say, let's say there's eight fouls, 10 fouls committed on him a game and the refs call two of them. I'm, I'm still happy with that. If they even call one of them, I'm moderately happy with that. And, you know, BXO was talking on the broadcast last night saying how McDavid needs to, <laughs> yeah, like, I like that. He needs to, he needs to schmooze the refs a little bit. He needs to go over, ask them how the wife and kids are doing. They got winter vacation plans during the Olympics, anything like that. I don't think that that's Connor's personality or whatever to go suck up to the refs or anything, but <clears throat> you know, they, they showed him kind of smiling, joking around with the ref during a TV timeout. And that's what happened last game. He got the he got the calls. So whatever whatever you got to do to get him, do it because like it's they're clearly not calling it. And I, I I'll also quickly blow steam. I love that McDavid shut up John Tortorella after telling him to shut up with that awesome goal, his second best goal of the season against the Winnipeg Jets, and the little celebration. And Connor will celebrate after a big goal, but that was almost like. An, uh, a non-typical celebration from him. That it was like an NFL celebration. An NBA it was WWE. That was Hulk Hogan, bro. Yeah, There's no way. Like, yeah, he put his hand yeah. to his ear like a cup and said, let me hear it now. Let me hear yeah. it now. There's no way that that I, wasn't for Tortorella. Absolutely, no, man. I mean, I mean, he made a reference to Tortorella during his press conference earlier that day. For sure. Too, right? yeah, exactly. So, I guess I yeah, just need to shut up. Yeah, exactly. So I, I love that he was able to uh, shove that down Tartarella's throat. And I hope that they, I hope if ESPN actually wants some ratings, I would love if someone brings that up to Torts on his next broadcast. And I don't care if Torts doesn't want to respond to it or if Torts lashes back, but, you know, build, build some, some ratings here. Like do, do something to like get that rivalry up and, 
you know, not that I, I think Connor McDavid and John Tortorella need to be like enemies or rivals or anything, but you know, that's the kind of stuff that will sell the game to an American audience that, you know, doesn't have necessarily the hockey love that Canada does. That was like verbal clickbait, man. There's that's Tortorella trying to stay relevant, you know, like, He's going to go and start telling Connor McDavid oh. to shut up. What Did you hear Stoffer popping off the what McDavid has done to the Columbus Blue Jackets Tortorella coach Four, teams? 14 <laughs> in, the, in, in the last six games that he played against Tortorella, he scored 14 points. So over two points. <laughs> yeah. Shut, yeah, shut up, Connor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he torched you, Torts, so... Maybe you can shut up when you find a way to stop him. Not to mention Tortorella yeah. has a seven-minute video on YouTube that's just him screaming at referees. So, you know, this is the guy that ran down a hallway to try to fight another coach. That sounds pretty freaking rich to be telling Connor McDavid to shut up. Um, Broberg drew the other penalty last night, which is probably worth mentioning based on our topic as well. I want to give you a little more um, comment on Nurse. What, how do you think we're going to do without him? What do you think we need to do with the deep pairings? And then we're going to let Dursa go off. He might yell a little. Um, I like the idea of keeping uh, Broberg with uh, Cody Cece until Darnell's back. Hopefully it's only two weeks and not three weeks. Uh, the Oilers have a, a few days off at the end of the month, which is nice that they're, their schedule is actually allowing them time for Nurse to get healthy. Mm-hmm. And maybe this little extra break will uh, actually pay off where Nurse has been used to playing so many minutes that he'll come back refreshed from this. So I'm trying to look at it from a positive perspective there. But, um, yeah, I think who would have thought going into the season that we would say, okay, Cody Cece is going to be our veteran, steady, reliable oh, defender. But that's not this guy. But he is, but he is the guy who yeah. you would probably get. Side, uh, if you look been. at the th- I mean – I would love to have Bouchard play with Broberg down the road, but I think that it's too soon to have those guys because Bouchard only has like 35 NHL games under his belt. So to ask him to be the veteran on a pairing with Broberg is a lot to ask. So he's got 35. That means they've got 36 together. So, (laughs) yeah. And you don't want uh, Tyson Berry as his partner because you want him to have someone who is going to take care of their own zone more than he necessarily has to and sort of be the the leader in, in the in their own end so yeah i think cody cc is the guy to play there duncan keith is going to have to keep playing elevated minutes and he's going to have to try and turn back the clock five years and, and be the duncan keith of old and even if that doesn't mean score the way duncan keith used to uh, at least you know defend close to the same level that, he, that we're used to seeing from him and um last night i thought was a pretty good sign from him and aside from that, uh, you know, you, like I said, you still can't replace Nurse. But uh, no. Tyson Berry, Tyson Berry looked good on the power play. I'd like to see Bouchard get a little more power play time too with Nurse out here. And uh, overall, yeah. I think that because the schedule isn't too daunting, especially with the next few games, that they might be able to survive this and and still like just looking at this six to nine games that Nurse might miss. If they can come out of those games above 500 for for that section, then I think they did pretty well. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, that's the only bright side of this is that the schedule is a little bit in our favor. Durst and I talked earlier in the in the season of, on a podcast uh, episode about Nurse potentially being the most vulnerable oiler to really, really do damage to our team and hurt us if we lost him. You know, we've got two capable goalies. We've got three capable centers. Uh, but Nurse was kind of that one guy that did something unique, and I think his intangibles are unique. And I think uh, Oiler Nation is going to find out um, how hard this team is going to have to replace him. Um, well, think about would, how much he know. used to fight. Uh, I mean, do you even want Darn? Like, if someone no. said, "What?" If someone said, "How many fights?" Would you like Darnell to take in a year? Would Would you say three? Would you say that's even too many? Dubois challenged him the other night, and he turned it down. Uh, the answer to that question for me is only when you absolutely have to to prove a point or do something that needs to be done, like Jerome McGinley style. It's yeah. he's too valuable to be in the penalty box, man. Penalty box or worse, breaking another finger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Durst, what do you think the fans are uh All right. Feeling in terms of Darnell Nurse, what do you what do you think we're what so, do you think we're in for, buddy? So last night was the first game uh really that we've played without him. Um and uh they did all right. What, what I'll say is I think Duncan Keith got up to play against his old team. Um yeah. that he had some money on the board. Yeah, that, that novelty is not gonna be there every night. And what's going to start to happen is is those minutes that Nurse logs is going to start to wear and tear on the other defensemen that we have. Um, for for too long, too many people have underestimated what that guy brings to the table. Um, no, he's not the second coming of Chris Pronger, but he's probably the most uh, you know closest. He has some Chris Pronger. He's, pro- he's, he's probably the closest facsimile to it. Oh, he makes too much. He makes too much money. Yeah. Well, we we've underpaid him for a while. Not yet. Not yet. Right. That starts next. That start next year. But 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 at five point six million, I think he's underpaid at the moment. For sure, he's a bargain. Of course, he is. And 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 what people don't do is is you know they think that he should be Chris Pronger. Well, he isn't. But how much would Chris Pronger be getting paid next year? A hell of a lot more than what Darnell's going to get paid. So Chris you got you, would be making eleven million or thirteen. You, you, it's depending it's, on who it is. Yeah, it's it's you know it, you're in a different you're in a different era now. There's there's inflation. There's all that everything that happened this summer put Darnell into a different you know bracket. Would you rather have Darnell Nurse than Seth Jones? I would. Yeah. Yeah. I That's would. funny because those were those were the two the top two defensemen in the 2013 draft, and you know. Jones was getting a lot of buzz about going first overall and ended up dropping to fourth, and we were able to get Darnell at seventh overall. Um, based based on up until today, you could probably say Jones has had the more accomplished NHL career. Yeah. But if I if I was given the choice of who would I rather have for the next eight years from this point until twenty thirty, I would rather have Darnell Nurse. I th- I think he can do more for a team. And, and, you know, this is the part where I get, I probably separate the old man and, and the, and the kind of eye test from the analytics crowd. The calculator kids wish, wish that they could have six carbon copies of Oscar Clefbaum as their blue line. 
And I, I got nothing against Oscar. I think he's a hell of a player. But I don't think six Oscar cleft bombs wins you a Stanley Cup. Because I, I think, don't even think they want six of him. I think they. I think it, from what the analytics people sound like, they would rather have six Kale McCars or six, um, six uh, Quinn Hughes. Yeah, I just mean from an Oilers standpoint. Like oh, just want, from, okay. Yeah, we want to clone Oscar and make that our blue line. And I don't think that gets it. I don't think that gets it done in the playoffs. That the game turns a little bit more muddy. And Darnell can handle that, and, and there's value to that. And and he's out with a broken finger. That's that's the most severe injury he's had as an Oiler. And it, and honestly, it's fuck all, really. Yeah. You know, and and not going to nothing. Nothing else happens to him for the rest of the season because he's a valuable piece. And we're going to start to feel it in a couple of games from now. We'll be all right in Dallas. We'll be all right in Phoenix. But after that, we're gonna we're gonna start to feel it. And I'm, I'm with you. If they come out of this 500, that means that Stuart Skinner and Miko Koskinen have played really, really fucking well. Yeah. I mean, put it this way. He played 326 consecutive games before missing last night's game. Yeah. The last time he missed a hockey game was in February of 2017. So we're going back quite a ways to his last injuries. I, I think overall you have to be impressed with how Durable he's been for a guy who plays a really physical style of body. Well, just the position. I mean, you can hide on the ice as a forward. You can be a lazy left winger and hide on the ice and not get hurt. You, you can't. You can't do that. You can't. You you, you you absolutely can't do that as a defenseman that, that's playing thirty minutes a night. You know, and and competing the way he does. Does he get timid the next time a shot's fired at him to block it? Probably not. He probably doesn't change a thing. And, and, and you know, McDavid, no. McDavid ratchets up the physicality against Winnipeg, and Shifley takes offense to it and, and goes after him. Who's the first guy that's right there right now? It's Darnell. <laughs> yeah. and, and honestly, if I'm any other team, you know, if I'm a different, on a different team, any other team, the, the guy that scares me the most isn't Zach Cassian. It's Darnell Nurse. From a you know a toe to toe, and you ask about how many times should he fight a year? Probably under five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's and, one every sixteen games. So and, you're and, looking at one one a month or less than one a month. And and he did do a favor by not engaging in that because he would have killed him. I mean the guy can fight. He can go to toe to toe with anybody. He's fought Lucic twice in his career. Yeah. Fought Lucic, fought Lucic before he was an Oiler. During Nurse's rookie year, and then he fought Nurse, or then he fought Lucic last year. Right after his Oiler career was done, so you know, and both and both, and both fights were kind of the same thing. Like Cassian will get into that fight if he drops the glove, and he'll think that he can beat Milan Lucic. Nurse doesn't think that he he thinks about you know being tactical and 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 living to fight another day, and that's and that and that's why he's good at what he does, and he's strong as hell. Mm-hmm. The guy, the guy is like, look at his whole family. I mean, they're all, they're all unbelievable Super athletes. athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so who are these people that want to trade the guy? Like, honestly, like, like, have you ever watched hockey? Do you know anything about it? I think some. It's one of those things similar to what we talked about with Koskinen. If if you do something wrong that Oilers fans remember, it's almost like for a lot of the fan base, it's very hard for them to ever forget that blunder. 
And earlier in Nurse's career, he might have not been as good of a shutdown defender as he is today. And there might have been some defensive lapses on his part. And it seems like there's there's this image people have in their head of a player and that is the image that they're always going to have for you and, and they'll just they'll just never lose it so the people who don't like nurse or the people who thought dry was overpaid or is a product of connor mcdavid you know i don't know if there's ever going to be changing uh their mindset i would just hope that more more fans than not in edmonton appreciate Darnell Nurse. That's the kind of stuff we expect from fans in Toronto or Calgary or outside this market anywhere. But the fans inside of oil country who watch this team night after night after night, I want them, or I, I shouldn't say, well, I, I hope that they appreciate everything that he brings to the table. Last year he scored, what was it, 16 even strength goals. Um, he was on pace for, I think, over 50 points this is a guy who has the capability of not only being a top point producing defenseman, but also being solid in his own zone. I, I Just, think, I know. think, I think this year on his behalf, there's recognition that, uh, you know, as much as he was pushing for offense last year, this year, I think he realizes that he has to be more responsible in his own end. And he's not, he's not, well, he's, he's not going as much. No. The, the one thing I'll say, Eric, to your point about, you know, the mistakes, yeah. probably the, probably the greatest defenseman in Edmonton Oiler history made a shit well, ton of made a shit ton of mistakes every night. He's, he's undisputedly the best defenseman in Oilers history. Chris Pronger might be the second best talent right. that the team ever had, or some people even say the best, whatever. But in terms of who, what defenseman had, the best career as an oiler. It's undisputedly Paul Coffey, and I know exactly what you're saying. He he made as as many blunders as as he did amazing plays. But yeah. there were there were more amazing plays that ended up in the opponent's net right. than blunders that ended up in in the Oilers' net. So. Yep. Darnell Nurse is the number one Oiler in time on ice. He's top five in the NHL in time on ice. He's top three in time on ice five on five. He's top five in the nhl and time on ice on the pk that number two pk in the league suffers without darnell nurse too man like this is there's more than just losing what we've lost five on five and with the toughness and nurses does a lot of things for this team well let's not also forget that in overtime he's the go-to guy on the blue line and as much credit as connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl get for being you know the, the the two most dominant players in three on three hockey, you need to have a defenseman out there who can skate, and who can keep up with those guys. And Darnell Nurse is one of the best skating defensemen in the league, which is rare for a guy who's six four six five to be able to skate as well as he does. And he's right up there in the player gets back depending on the situation. So that's another situation where he thrives in. If you want to call that a special team as well, a three on three situation. So we've uh, lapped the hour here. Um, I think the, the, we'll kind of, uh, you know, there's Dallas and Phoenix uh, coming up this mm-hmm. week. Um, any predictions on that? And then uh, we'll go to final words and we'll close here right away. Uh, three games, including Vegas. So I think 
Like, let's just, uh, man, I, I hope we beat Arizona. I know we can play down to poor teams level and, and get slow starts, but even with a slow start and and half of a team on life support, we should be able to beat the Coyotes. So I'm going to check that box. Um, I'm a little bit scared. We come off of a high and, and go into a low against uh, Dallas because that's happened to us. And the Vegas game, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. I think, you know, it's, it's going to be... On Vegas, I see the realistic part of me wants to say we're going to go one and two this week, to be honest, you guys, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, You know, the last road trip you look at it, the Oilers came back two and three, and they beat two good teams. They lost Mm -hmm. to two bad teams, and they lost to one good team. And, you know, they're still 13 and four, which is a great record. But looking at this road trip, I think that Arizona – is a win. I don't want to say a guaranteed win, but they beat them 5-1 pretty handily last night. I expect another win there. I think that Vegas might be a loss. And looking at the Dallas game, Dallas is a 500 hockey team. They're not world beaters, but they are a team that the Oilers at times have had their issues with, but then they've also beat them as well in recent years. So I will say that that game is a toss-up, but I'm going to hope that the Oilers come back with a 2-1-0 record. I hope you're right. I think I think Me that's too. I think that's the case, but I think the game they drop is the is the one in uh, Dallas. Um, hmm. Hopefully, I'm wrong, but uh, Vegas has a lot of people in sick bay right now, so I'd rather them lose. I, I don't want them to lose ever, but I'd rather them lose to a, a non-divisional opponent. So, For sure. if, you know, if, if they had to lose one, I guess that'd be the one. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if they actually ran the table here, if, if they get the solid goaltending that they have. Um, that's, that's a key to it all. I mean, I, I don't see McDavid and Drysaddle, you know, doing anything different than they've done all season, which is torch everybody, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that, and there's other people here that are just starting to get going with Cassian and Fogel and McLeod. That line was starting to do some things. Even the fourth line was starting to, starting to go. Yamamoto's caught fire, and uh, I think there's two other guys that are, you know, waiting to, to get going in, in Pooley-Arvey and, and Zach Hyman. Um, you know, they're due. So, uh, yep. yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not petrified of the D yet. I think as it goes on a little bit without Nurse, that's when, that's when they'll really start to feel it. But I think... You know, the next couple of games, they'll, they'll be able to tread water. Well, hopefully it doesn't go on too long. That's the key, right? Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts there, uh, Eric and Dash? Uh, well, Struddy um, appointed my wife a, a guest ghost analyst who will never show her face, but opinions always pop up here. And uh, she told me pretty confidently that she thinks they're going 3 and 0. So let's uh, let's hope she's right on the podcast uh, or uh, that we're telling. Pardon me. Let's hope that we're saying next week on the podcast that she was right. Eric, all I just want to say is I really appreciate you guys even having me on the the show. It was a lot of fun to get to talk hockey with you. Like I said, I've done three podcasts with Dursa before on the the ninety nine Forever Show, and I had you on as one of my most recent guests, Dash. So. Yeah, it's uh, just great to talk to both of you guys, and um, you're both welcome to be on my show again sometime, and uh, I'd love to come back and be a guest on this show as well. Hey, man, it's our pleasure. You're the you're the heavy hockey editor-in-chief. 
you're the franchise eric the ice freezing good to have you on buddy yeah i don't i i give the edit the chief to the title to michael he's the one who makes everything work behind the scenes and no the, no no it's a guy with a mask on behind a curtain he <laughs> bear has no word in this thing whatsoever i'm telling you that nobody knows who runs this thing it's uh, it's crazy i see but he bears uh, no, just honestly, a peon yeah but no hopefully hopefully uh you know i can come <laughs> back and talk again uh, you guys have both written, you know, some good stuff that I've enjoyed reading, and uh, hopefully we'll have more articles out from you guys as well, and talk some more hockey, and uh, hopefully this, uh, hopefully this uh, episode does well. Um, yeah, so we will definitely have you back, Eric. And uh, the other thing that's going through my head is uh, Stuart oh, fucking no. Stuart fucking Skinner. Maybe uh, we found our own Jordan Bennington. Um, Thanks again, everybody, for listening on YouTube and uh, Facebook and uh, on Twitter. And uh, like I always say, keep your sticks on the ice and keep reaching for the stars. Go Oilers, go. Maybe 3-0 and next Sunday when we see you again. Bye Let's for now. Go Oilers! Heavy hockey isn't dead. It's just getting started.